With more than 500 programs a year, there's never a dull moment at the Commonwealth Club. If you're a fan of this podcast and you like hearing new and provocative discussions with the most interesting people in the world, consider showing your support by joining the Commonwealth Club and ensuring that the conversations never end. Visit commonwealthclub.org slash special to get special rates on membership. You're listening to the podcast for Inforum, an innovation lab at the Commonwealth Club. Buy tickets to upcoming live events in San Francisco at inforumsf.org. Want even more Inforum? Find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as InforumSF. Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's virtual program with Inforum at the Commonwealth Club. I'm Solejo, restaurant critic for the San Francisco Chronicle. Today, it's a pleasure to be in conversation with Jay Kenji Lopez-Alt and Gigi Ruggiero. Kenji is an award-winning chef, author, and restaurant owner. He's a New York Times food columnist and is behind Serious Eats' The Food Lab. Gigi Ruggiero is an illustrator, video game designer, and animator for films such as Toy Story 3 and many others. They are here to discuss their new children's book, Every Night is Pizza Night, which includes illustrations by Gigi and words by Kenji. So just as a reminder, if you'd like to ask Kenji and Gigi a question, please ask it in the chat if you're watching it on YouTube or in the comments if you're watching on Facebook. So let's get started. Thanks for joining me this afternoon, Kenji and Gigi. Hi, Soleil. Hey. Good to see you and good to see all this pizza too. <laughs> so just to start at its most basic level, can you two tell me about the book? What is it about? Um, what's the deal? Yeah, well, um, I'll go first and Gigi, you want to go after? Sure. Or the other way? All right. <laughs> um, well, I, I mean, plot-wise, the book is about a young girl who believes that pizza is the best food in the world and therefore is the only food worth eating. Um, and it's about her discovering um, that this is not the case <laughs> and that there are other foods out there. Um, ultimately, you know, it's a book about uh, family and community and open-mindedness and multiculturalism and, um, you know, being open to new experiences and learning um, how other people see the world through the lens of pizza and other foods. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think Kenji summed it up really well. And yeah, it's just, you know, food is this gateway sometimes into other cultures that we don't experience. So, yeah. So Kenji, <laughs> you know, most of your fans know you as a blogger, uh, a writer of many articles, a columnist for New York Times, um, and someone who's written a really awesome cookbook. Um, so why a kid's book? Why now? Um, well, I, a kid's book because I had a kid. <laughs> and now because I had that kid. Well, it came out now when I, we started right, We started working on this um, almost three years ago now um, when my daughter was about six months old. Um, you know, it, it happened because I, um, you know, when, when my daughter was born, I took a step back from everything. So I, I stopped working. I stopped writing. I stopped doing everything. I was a stay-at-home dad full-time for a while. Um, and... Um, you know, raising a, taking care of a baby and raising a kid takes a lot of time, but there's also a lot of sort of unpredictable downtime. You know, it makes it hard, it makes it difficult to work with other people and hold a job when you have a baby, but babies sleep a lot um, and they sleep at random times. So I would find myself with like three hours in the middle of the day or two hours in the afternoon or whatever with, with not much to do. Um, and so I thought to myself, well, like now would be a good time to start some new personal projects. Um, one of those was 
you know, consulting for a restaurant that I ended up being a partner in, which is not a good thing to do when you have a child. Um, <laughs> um, but the other one was a kid's book, which was a very fun project for me. Um, very difficult, but a very fun one. Um, so, you know, I, I mainly wanted to write it for her, which is what I did. Um, uh, and um, yeah, you know, it, it seemed like, the, you know, the messages in the book were ones that were important to me, lessons that I wanted to make sure that my daughter understood growing up. And, you know, already by the time she was six months old, I think her first solid food was pizza. Certainly like within the first, you know, we, we did baby led weaning, which is where like basically as soon as, as soon as she's old enough to sit up. So at six months old, essentially she started on solid foods. Um, so certainly like within the first week that she was on solid foods, she was eating pizza um, and she loved it. So, um, and I love pizza. So yeah, it seemed, it seemed natural to make that sort of the, the, the subject of the book. Um, yeah, that's, that's why a children's book and that's why now. So the thing that I find really interesting about children's books is that the collaboration between writer and illustrator is so intimate and it's so essential. And I think you two found each other over Twitter, right? Yeah, it was, <laughs> yes, it was, I mean, it was like faded pretty much because um, it was like October, I can't remember, October 27th or something, 2017. Um, that was when I started, you know, I had started thinking about writing a book a little bit before that. Um, I didn't, I hadn't even told my publisher that I was thinking about this at that point. Um, but I wanted to find an illustrating partner. So I went on Twitter and I said, does anyone know, like, if anyone knows anyone who's worked on children's books um, and is looking for a project, like have them message me. And like just that morning, um, Gigi had tweeted that she had been laid off and was looking for a new project to work on. And so someone on Twitter, like, who follows both of us, I guess, connected us. Uh, and it, Bless them. It, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it went from there. Um, you know, and I, and I, and I had a, bu a bunch of people um, sent me their portfolios and, and links to their portfolios and stuff. Um, and, you know, when I saw, when I saw Gigi's portfolio, it was like, instantly like, yes, this is, this is the one, <laughs> this is the right one. Yeah. Not every, like, inter not every internet relationship works so well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I feel like for some reason I, then I'm lucky, but you know, my art, you know, social media, I follow a lot of artists and things like that. And, you know, people I know and the art community, I think on the, the I will say in my experience, I've had a pleasant one. Um, I haven't really uh, experienced terrible things. I know that's not true for everybody, but yeah, it was, it was really crazy. And, you know, at the time I was living in um, Som Somerville in Boston, uh, Massachusetts. And so we just, we did a lot of just phone calls and I was like, sure. Yeah, let's do this. I, anything, you know, I was like anybody, please. So I was, I was really excited and, um, you know, and I, it was my first time learning about Kenji too. And so it was like, Oh, wow. Kenji, he seems like a big deal, huh? <laughs> you know, cause sometimes you get, you get a lot of, I've gotten a lot of emails from very strange people. They're like, I have this great idea for this movie. Can you animate it all? And uh, I don't want to tell you what it is. And so it's, it was, it was, uh, it was a really uh, amazing and, and like faded. Uh, it was destiny in some ways. <laughs> Yeah, I'd love to hear you both talk about what you saw in each other that made you think like this is it. Well, for for me, it was you know in in Gianna's um, it was looking through Gianna's portfolio, um, and for me it was really I mean her her illustrating style, which seemed which is like 
very rooted in reality, but also sort of magical and whimsical, um, which is sort of, um, you know, the feel that I wanted for the, for, um, for the book uh, and something that I really instantly connected to and sort of seeing magic in everyday things going on. Um, also, um, she's a very good way of drawing um, from, a, from a child's perspective. Um, and that's sort of, I guess, I guess sort of similar, you know, a similar idea, sort of that, that like awe, that, and the awe, awe and wonder that children see in the world and, and noticing really interesting, magical things in, in everyday life. Um, I was also sort of um, drawn to her um, drawings of cities um, and more sort of urban landscapes. You know, originally wasn't going to be part of the book, but then, you know, when, when I saw her illustrations there and then we started discussing more um, uh, about the plot of the book as well as talking with our editors, um, that's when we sort of decided, hey, you know, rather than having, originally, the, you know, the, the girl was going to be, people was going to be traveling around the world trying foods um, and, Somehow it made sense that like a that like a four year old would be on an airplane, um, or, or traveling by herself around the world. But then, um, you know, looking at, at at Gigi's drawings, um, it sort of made sense to to refocus it, and and we started thinking, hey, well, what if what if instead of traveling around the world, she just traveled around the world by going through her neighborhood, um, and um, yeah, you know, so that that all sort of seemed to fit into place. Yeah, it was, it was really just looking at a portfolio and, and thinking that this is a perfect match for the, the tone of the book that, I'm, that I'd like to go for. Thank you. That's so sweet. <laughs> so sweet, really. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess, um, you know, we, we started to talk, like, when we first, like, you know, I remember... I was at a dog park and we were talking about the book and you're like, Oh, I don't know if it's going to be like an APC kind of book, like what age group yet. And it was still, you know, this process of trying to figure it out, but knowing that like food was definitely the center part of it. And, you know, I think we got into, you know, this girl, young girl who was trying food and like food from all over the world. And exactly like Kenji says, like it's, it's very much about experiencing different cultures and like opening up. And I think we got on the idea of a city, you know, cause we started to push it a little more towards like, you know, personal feelings and, you know, and our experiences and, you know, Kenji, uh, we, we live in the Bay area. And so, you know, and I grew up in Philadelphia and so cities are something that I'm used to and, you know, and just like, just being so close to so many different people and, you know, just cultures all around you. Um, it's really easy to see like, and, you know, I also envisioned myself as a young girl, like, you know, we'd, I'd go out with my friends and we'd walk around the corner and go get Allianz and, uh, which is a Middle Eastern place. And then I'd go get, you know, a cheesesteak or I'd go to my local, you know, Thai restaurant. So it was like, it was very easy for me to start to see this young girl kind of we, the, the idea of like, Oh, maybe she's in an apartment building and she's knocking on her neighbor's doors and being like, Hey, what are you making in there? You know? Um, I remember there was an idea about a calendar at one point, like days of the week, but it yes, was a there, yeah, there, there's a whole different, there are a whole bunch of different formats <laughs> that we thought of in, um, to tell this, you know, to tell the story, you, you know, it all, it, Initial, the very initial idea I had was like, all right, it'll just be an ABC book. Um, we won't, it, there won't even be a main character. It would just be like 26 different countries, 26 different dishes, um, because I want my daughter to learn from food around the world. 
Um, and that, that was sort of like the idea. And then, and then it was like, well, you know what, it would be more interesting if there was a character who was experiencing these things and you could sort of experience them through the lens of the character. So it was like one girl traveling to 26 countries and even 26 weeks. And it was like, well, maybe it would connect a little bit better if it was actually a story and it had some, and it, you know, and it, and it had some better messaging that other than simply this exists. Um, and so, you know, and then, then, then it, it really was, became a matter of editing down the story. Like, um, you know, the, the first, the first draft of the story that I wrote, I don't remember if I ever sent it to Gigi or not, but it was like eight you or did. ten thousand words or something. <laughs> it's it gigantic. Um, and, you know, way, way, way more than a kid's book should ever be. Um, but, you know, that, that, that was sort of my process of learning how to write a kid's book. It was like, just, just write, get everything out on paper and then, and then figure out what the core themes are and what the real message of the story is going to be. Um, and, you know, and for me, it really did gel when we, when we came up with the, the idea of putting it, um, of putting her sort of travels into a city because, you know, not only did it make the story, make the plot of the story easier to sort of manage um, and a little more realistic, but it also, um, it also made it feel a lot more sort of relevant to um, my life and to, you know, I, I grew up in New York um, and Gianna grew up in Philadelphia. So we made it re more relevant to our lives and our experiences, um, as well as I think, you know, sort of timely given everything that's going on in the country and in the world right now. Um, so, you know, having a book that really focuses on the importance of multiculturalism within a city um, and within your own environment um, seemed like a good positive message um, to be putting out right now. So you went from 26 countries to just a handful of, you know, cultural cuisines. Like, how did you decide in the end? I'm sure you had to <laughs> really just be brutal in what you cut out of that first draft. Yeah. I mean, you know, well, part of it, it was like, of course, of course there is like, you know, I, I, like, I don't want to say there's like a checklist, but there, you know, of course, like, it's like, I wanted to visit disparate parts of the world. Like I didn't, obviously I didn't want everything coming from Europe or everything coming from Asia. So, you know, I wanted, I wanted to make sure that there was representation from multiple parts of the world. Um, oh, you know, ultimately it came down to, you know, these are dishes that I love and, and these are also dishes. Um, part of it was also like, I was thinking in advance, like, you know, if kids are going to be reading these books with their parents, they're probably also going to want to be interested in trying these foods um, and maybe cooking them with their parents. And so part of what I'm doing right now is I, so I just started this new column on Serious Eats called Food Lab Junior. And the first five installments of that column, it's, it's a column on cooking and food science aimed at parents um, or adults who want to cook with young children. Um, and teach the children sort of science and technique along the way. Um, but the first five um, installments of that column, um, the first one we just went up on Monday, are all the foods that Pipo, uh, the character, eats uh, in the book as she travels around her neighborhood. So um, on, on this past Monday, um, a recipe for Ronnie and Donnie's dumplings went up. Next week, there'll be red, red beans and rice. Um, and then, then we'll be doing bibimbap, pozole, and um, what was the last one? Oh, and tagine. They're foods that I thought represented a very diverse set of techniques. You know, some of them are some of them are based on spices. Some of them are some of them are all about spices. Some of them are all about texture. Some of them are about long, slow simmering and comfort in red beans and rice. So, so I, you know, they they all sort of represent different ways people can think about food, and they also sort of represent distinct cultures. Uh, and and that and that's that was sort of the important part of the book is that you know she thinks in the story she thinks pizza is the best because it tastes great. Um, and, and then she also discovers it's the best because you can share it, um, very easily. It's like built for sharing at the end, but, you know, but other people in the book think, well, this, you know, bibimbap is the best because it's my old family recipe and it reminds me of my family. Um, like tagine is the best because I came to this country and this reminds me of home. Red beans and rice is the best because it's, it's what my, it's what my mom used to make for my dad. 
when um, when when he was feeling sad or to make him feel you know to bring him some more comfort and you know these dumplings are the best because this is it's it's the heart of our business like we we started this food truck that sells dumplings so you know there's different reasons why people think different foods are are the best um, so for me it was important to bring a sort of diverse range of foods um, uh, and and reasons why people might think various foods are good or not. So the thing I really admire about the book is its rhythm, right? Like it's really, it it brings you through this very slow process of tasting a food and then like, and cooking it and coming to understand it. Um, and for most humans, tasting is something that happens really quickly. You know, you don't dwell mm -hmm. on it over the course of two pages. So I would love <laughs> to hear about how, how you're able to tease that out and really boil down something that's really complicated that happens on a subconscious level um, and depict it through illustration and through words. Yeah. So I think, you know, the book, like the book kind of is in these like two places, right. Where it's in reality and then it's in this tasting magical space. Right. Um, and, you know, I think it was important. I remember we talked about like, you know, being in the kitchen and, um, you know, people, people helping out in the kitchen um, and helping, you know, the different characters make their food. For me, I think a lot about like growing up with my mom and my mom's a cook and we're all Italian. And so it's very giant stereotypical everything you think yes that's exactly what it's like but it was just me and my mom in the kitchen a lot and so you know I'd watch her cook or like make her tomato sauce or pasta or whatever we're making that night and you know I remember sort of being the same size as Peepo and like you know I remember that scale difference of just like you know, adults are just so big and everything around you so big. And you had to like stand on, you know, like a little stool just to get up and see what was being made. And so I wanted like that feeling. And then, you know, Peepo has this hesitation of like, mm, this, this looks strange. And like, I, you know, a lot of kids and adults even feel that way about food when they see something like, mm, I don't know. So I wanted to kind of narrate that feeling of like, you know, the first illustration, if you go to maybe the spread of her tasting beep and bop, I think it's the one where she's like floating in yellow, but you can see that she's uh, like hesitant and then she tastes it. And like the idea of, you know, especially something like beep and bop where there's like all these flavors to that dish and, you know, you start to, when you're really experiencing food, like that you are really enjoying, I guess I, I think of it as like layers and moments in time. Cause you're like, Ooh, I taste the saltiness and Ooh, now I'm tasting this like tanginess or, you know, whatever it is. So trying to like, and that's the representation of, you know, people in those different poses. Like she's like, Ooh, the meat is so savory. And then like, she starts to taste, you know, the, the spiciness of bibimbap and then you know the like in Kenji's words and, and Kenji's words of course were very helpful in you know helping me illustrate which is like the crunchy cool and cucumbers and carrots and how that kind of makes you know the spiciness cool down and like cooling down feels like a slide and you know so it's just like you know you just try to you know put visuals to language and what something 
if something's hot and spicy, you'll probably be, you know, kind of, you know, like Peepo has fire coming out of her mouth and, and also taking it into like this magical realm of like, you know, cause how do you illustrate taste? Taste is something that you experience. And so just like, you know, I think putting it more into the fantastical kind of roots it somehow in reality, you know, and a visual language of what you're actually tasting. To me, you know, to me, it your ba- your background in video games kind of kind of comes through in this. Um, you know, I was thinking about this. So I, right now, my daughter is really into Mario, and we're, we've been playing Super Mario Odyssey. And there's a I don't know if you played it at all, Gigi, but there's a um, there's a um, so there's the Luncheon Kingdom world in it, which is like you're Mario, but like everybody, all the characters are forks, and like there's like giant pots of food and stuff and so that the all the all the pictures of people like where she's like this like tiny little person like like peering over this giant tagine and like and there's these, like <laughs> pieces of chicken that are bigger than her and stuff where she's like sliding down a water slide of carrots and cucumbers just like um reminds me of like the video language uh, of the of the visual language of um of video games a lot and like how how you can you know play with scale and and envision yourself in these sort of crazy environments those those pages those two pages two page spreads which occur every time she tastes a new um a new food oh yeah just always always somehow remind me of, of playing a video game and it makes um, which I, I guess it's because i guess it's because they feel like there there's so much motion in them and it feels like you really are this like little character who's like in all these different positions and and i can picture myself like sliding around these different foods and like going into these crazy giant bowls of giant bowls of beans and, and whatnot <laughs> Yeah, and what way does that reflect your philosophy over how to get kids to try new things? For me, well, you know, there's there's a number of things that I do with my daughter. My, my daughter, like, I've been very lucky that my daughter is not a picky eater. I mean, you know, so she's 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 picky in the same in the in the sense that I think every kid likes to have control. You know, likes likes to kids kids I think often feel powerless about um, controlling their own lives because they often are. They don't get too many choices, um, which is you know, and so that's why I think a lot of kids especially when it comes to food this is like the one place where they can say Mm-mm, like I'm not going to do it or like I refuse I'm, I want this one I don't I want that one where they really have um a bit more control or where they have some amount of control and they can um and so they they like to express their opinions around food and sometimes even just make up opinions because it's you know it, like she'll be like today I don't like carrots like she loves carrots but she's like today I don't want carrots it's like okay like today you don't want carrots because like you need you need some outlet of expression, right? You need you need to feel some kind of control in your life. So you know, so she's picking in the sense that on a given day she might decide she wants one thing and not the other, and then the next day change her mind. But overall, like she'll she'll eat anything. She like her favorite foods are fish eyeballs and broccoli and tofu. But um, <laughs> but you know, one of the thing one of the ways that I get her to eat is um, and it's the same way that I get her to sort of learn about things is that I, um, we we sort of I try and make dinner like meals is sort of like learning experience so it's like if if we say like one thing i'll do is like we have cucumbers here and we have and we have yogurt on our plate and i'll say like all right like like try the cucumber and like tell me what that texture is and like now try the yogurt and tell me what that texture is all right now try cucumber and yogurt together and see how it makes it how how it makes them taste different um and so she really enjoys that and she does that now she does that back to like you know now now she's a little bit older she does that back to um me and me and audrey my wife um she'll she'll say papa take this chicken and put it in the hot sauce and put a carrot at the same time and put it in your mouth <laughs> and um and so she gets really excited about that um 
so the you know the idea of um, you know in the book the girl she's into science um, and so when she, when she's when she's hesitant to, hesitant to try a new food um, she tells herself all right like I don't need to do this I don't want to do this but I will do it I'll do it for science I'll do it because I'm curious about the world um, and I want to know more about it not because I really want to eat food but just because I'm curious about the world in general and so that's that's um, very reflective I think of how I I mean how I get my daughter to try new experiences like she, she tries new things because it's something new not necessarily because she's particularly excited about you know the thing that she sees and but then eventually you know just like people in the book I think you find that a lot of times when you make yourself try something new you do discover that it's pretty cool you know in, in many ways it's also sort of reflective of of my life you know I, I think a lot of people myself included are sort of hesitant afraid of change you know and I, I've had like a couple of big moves in my life like moving out to San Francisco five years ago from New York where I grew up that was like a big change and a big challenge for me um but it, it was one of those things where it's like all right like how bad could it be just like you know it's like oh no like the, the ocean's on the wrong side like the <laughs> the weather's it doesn't it doesn't snow it's gonna be so different um but it was, it was one of those things like all right like i should try it i should give it a shot um and so i did it and i was like oh actually this is pretty cool like, this is a brand new experience this is fun you know that that's how that's how i convince myself to try new things um and that's how i often convince my daughter to try new things so it just seems sort of like a a natural experience to draw from to put into the book. Yeah, and it makes sense that this is a book about multiculturalism too. Where, you know, trying new foods is an analogy for going out there and meeting new people and having a little bit of cultural humility when it comes to meeting new right. people. And you said earlier that this is a value that is even more pressing right now. And I'd love to right. hear you both talk about, you know, how that populated the book and just why it's so important to you as a concept. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, without getting like deeply, <laughs> deeply into politics right now, um, you know, I think it, 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 it should be obvious to a lot of people why, um, you know, I, I feel that, you know, multiculturalism and Im immigration and um, immigrant communities are, are under attack right now in, um, around the world and particularly in the U.S. And, you know, as a, as, as a, as a business owner and an employer who, who employs a lot of immigrants, as someone who um, grew up in a, in um, a city that, uh, you know, a diverse city that was populated by immigrants. And as the son of, um, you know, my mom came here from Japan when she was a teenager as the son of an immigrant. And my wife is an immigrant. Um, I think, you know, multiculturalism has always sort of played an important role in my life. Um, you know, when, when I was in college, I lived, uh, I lived in a house that was, um, it was a, poet fraternity but it was a house that was about 80 percent international students um and that's actually sort of where my my that's where i first started cooking in college um and that's where my current love of diverse food influences comes from um i i was um i spent when i was when i was a let's see when i was a senior in college i started cooking for that fraternity house dinners um, and one of the things i did was every sunday um every sunday i would try i would so i would talk with this one a student um, one of my classmates talk about food that they missed from home and then spend the week researching and, and testing recipes. And then on Sundays, um, I would try and make a meal with that student um, from, from their home. And, and you know, living in, a, living in a house with 50 students, um, you know, 40 of them who, who were from different countries all around the world, it gave me a lot of opportunities to learn about different foods and different cultures. So that, you know, that, that's where my love of food from around the world um, came from. But yeah, you know, food, what, you know, especially right, even, even pre, pre, pre coronavirus, um, you know, I think the importance of um, multiculturalism and, and immigrant cultures was 
um, was important. But now it's, I think, in even more stark contrast because what, what happens, at least for me, what I've, what, I've, what I've experienced is that we're losing third places, you know, and, and even, after, even after COVID is hopefully behind us, um, a lot of the restaurants that populated downtown areas, a lot of, a lot of restaurants that um, mom and pop places that uh, are, are not going to survive this, right? They're not going to reopen. Um, and I think we're going to wait, I think we're going to reopen to a much more homogenous food landscape than we had been in pre-COVID. I, I mean, I, I think that's a really big shame because, you know, there, there are many ways, there are many windows into culture, but food, I think, is one of the most accessible and the most easy um, because, you know, food plays such an important role in almost every culture because everybody eats, everybody, everybody gathers around um, to have meals um, the world over. Um, and it's also just a very easy way to share your culture with other people um, and give people a look into something that they might not have experienced before in a way of looking at the world that they might not have um, thought about before. So, you know, it, food, being open to new foods, I think, eventually leads to, to more empathy and more understanding, which is something that I, I think the world needs a lot more of right now. So before we toss it to Gigi, uh, just to be clear, so by third places, you mean those sort of gathering spots outside of home and work, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yes. You're listening to a podcast of Inforum, an innovation lab at the Commonwealth Club. Support our podcast and find out about upcoming live events in San Francisco at inforumsf.org. The, the coronavirus has exposed our sort of deep lack of empathy for people who are not like us, right? Like people who are not in our camp, um, people who don't have health care, people who aren't in houses, um, people who don't have jobs, and people who work in roles that we traditionally consider to be like servile, right? Like people in the restaurant industry, for instance, janitors, nurses. Um, so, yeah, you know, I think there's a lot that's been exposed um, about the way we we arrange society and the ways in which we compensate uh, people for what they do. And, you know, the ins and the outs are very, very clear right now. It's almost like a political cartoon. It's like too dramatic. You know, it's so on the nose that if you wrote that, I would laugh at you because like, that's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I think especially with restaurants, right? Like I think I, I wrote a piece for the Chronicle recently about this one sushi restaurant in downtown San Francisco that, that built these plastic domes over the outdoor tables to keep people safe from the elements and also from unhoused people in the neighborhood. Um, and it's complicated, right? Like an omakase yes. there is like $200 plus, but at the same time, they have nothing, you know, there's no universal health care. There's no uh, basic income for their workers if they get fired. You know, if they hire immigrant workers, if they fire them, they'll have to be deported, but how do they even get home right now? It's all just a mess, right? Um, so everyone's in a state of extreme desperation. Yeah, it's I mean, not that's not fun. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, this is the kids' kids talk. <laughs> yeah, it's not sustainable. It's just, right, it's right. just, we just, you know, and, and taking care of each other and is, you know, and that's what food is, right? It's like, it's taking care of somebody and like, making sure that they're fed and are you okay like let's sit down let's eat you know tell me about yourself like you know just the sitting down and sharing a meal is you know it's just a way to connect and yeah it's you know it's really sad what's going on out there and you know it's in some ways it's shining this light on something that you know needs to be shined on and you know people have just been sort of shielding their eyes from and but at the same time it's 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 overwhelming and there's so much complexity right i mean speaking to that complexity 
we've been hearing a lot um, from parents, especially, right? Like, how do I explain this to my kids? Like, how do, and, and all these topics that are touched on in the book are also quite complex. Um, how do I talk to my kids about race or disability or mortality? Um, do you find that, I guess, you, you tried though, you took a crack at it. Um, how is that experience? <laughs> well, you know, for me, I, Talking to my daughter um, about you know about complex subjects, I think everything always has to come from start from a point of empathy, um, and from getting your ch your children to um, to understand that their life is not everybody else's life, and that their life is not necessarily better or worse than other other people's lives, or you know more valuable um, they, that their values are not necessarily the same values other people have, um, and you know it's 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 something that I think adults need to do more of. It's just you know like. Um, trying to put yourself in other people's positions and thinking about um, what they might value and why they might value things differently than you do. Um, so it's it's not just about you know it's not just about saying oh yes I like I, I love my fellow human I, I want to be nice to everybody. Um, you know, being wanting to be nice to everybody is important, of course. But um, the, I think the best way to do that is to try and put yourself in their shoes and and. And not just think about you know how you would react to situations that that they're in, um, but think about why they react and why they react to the situations they're in in certain ways, and 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 understand that maybe it's not just because they are um, you know a different person, you know, not just because they're in, in different circumstances from you, but because they might have a fundamentally different understanding of um, you know various values of and 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 a fundamentally different value system uh, than you do, and that that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, of course, you know, it all has to be put into simpler, <laughs> into simpler terms for, for, <laughs> for kids, but, um, you know, kind, kindness and empathy, I think is, is where it all starts. And that, those are lessons that I think kids can, can grasp, um, if you, if you, if you work at it. And Gigi, like the, your, your depiction of the neighborhood, I think, espouses those values really implicitly and you know i would argue explicitly is pretty obvious right the sort of like <laughs> utopian neighborhood that people lives in where everyone gets along and shares food <laughs> can you talk about how you how you shaped the neighborhood the character of it and also just your argument that you are making with that scene setting hmm. yeah i mean I, again like it's rooted like we we talked about we wanted it to be in San Francisco and so and you know at the time when I started you know when I started illustrating this it, I wasn't in San I was in San Francisco um so it was just like a lot of reference gathering and just like you know we talked about oh the mission Chinatown you know just these like iconic places that people know of or, or don't you know whatever um and so I just wanted, like, you know, the thing that the architecture here is different from, you know, the architecture elsewhere, um, and making sure that, you know, I got, like, a lot of that sort of, and, and you know, I don't know what the, the, term, the term is for the architecture here, but, like, you know, the stucco and those, like, red uh, bricks that kind of stack, um, and, um, you know, and I just wanted to make sure that, that it had that sort of, um, you know, just that vibe and, you know, food trucks. I thought that was, you know, that came from Kenji and I thought that was great. And, you know, even in the illustration that's being shown right now, I, I was like that, 
you know, yellow building, that's where Pippa lives. And that's where she just went and talked to all her neighbors and uh, experienced stuff. Now she's just, you know, running down the street and she's like, oh, I'm going to go try this dumpling truck, you know, that's like right outside my house. And, you know, I, I remember like this was, we would call, uh, we would call them trucks, like the, the silver before like food trucks ever became a thing, we had the silver kind of things that hat latched onto cars and you'd just get a, a bacon, egg and cheese from, and it was just like heaven on earth, like, <laughs> best thing. So like, I thought about that. Like there was always one parked outside of my high school and like every morning kids would go there and get coffee and their breakfast or, you know, and then we'd go into school. So I thought about that and just like, maybe that's like something that, you know, this is now, you know, that's something that happened in the nineties for me. So this must be the new version for kids. You know, this is like these cool food trucks with like dumplings on the side. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, as, as far as the, um, as far as the sort of like you, the idea of a sort of like utopian neighborhood goes, um, I mean, you know, it, it is obviously like the, the world that people lives in, um, uh, it obviously is like a very sort of u- utopian setting where everyone gets along and everyone is sharing. Um, you know, I, I think with, when, with a kid's book um, and, you know, and, and as I was writing this one, I read like hundreds of books because, um, because I didn't really know how to write a kid's book before this. So I just read and read and read. Um, but, but that, I, I, you know, there are some there are some kids books that that really try and get a little more you know a, a little more realistic and and a little more sort of subversive um, or a little more complex with their messaging but um, a, a, the vast majority of the time with a kids book you um, and and with the the way children sort of try and understand the world um, you do kind of you do kind of create these utopian worlds because you 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 create if you're trying to teach kids a um, a, a you know, a, a lesson in morality or whatever, but a, a, give them a message without being preachy about it. Um, you kind of have to illustrate it in a way that they, in a way that they understand. And, and kids are not dumb. Um, you know, they're not stupid, but, um, but they also don't have the same experiences as adults, um, which, uh, um, and so, you know, the idea of creating, of, of course, the world is much, is much, the people's world is much simpler than, um, than the real world is. But um, that that's just sort of a, a, a feature of children's books in general um the idea that you, you build a world based on the lesson that you're trying um that you're trying to express yeah um, no, i know this i like my kids books with a lot more monsters and, and murders so. <laughs> <laughs> um we're close on time because we're gonna throw to an audience q a soon so i wanted to throw okay. you to a quick softball um i would love to hear about your most i guess favorite childhood memory of food Gigi, you want to go first? Oh, I know. Uh, so in the morning, I we didn't I didn't really eat a lot. Of, we didn't eat breakfast that much. But anytime like I was hungry, my mom would just make. I know this is strange, but she made grits, and I remember like she'd give me a little bowl of grits, and she'd put the butter and the salt and pepper, and I just like and I remember like bringing the bowl and I'd turn on the TV and watch like you know, my PBS, you know, Sesame Street, whatever was on channel 12, which is where PBS was. And I would just like wait for the butter to like 
slowly melt and I'd wait for it. And I'd like, I was like this weird strategic, like wait for it in like pool in a little circle. And then when it would melt, (laughs) I would like mix it in and it was just like heaven on earth. And it was just like, I just loved it. It was like this, like, it's like, my morning ritual you know as adults we drink coffee and as a kid it was like my grits and my and my cartoons <laughs> <laughs> um for me i mean this this would change depending on what just like my favorite food changes depending on like what day of the week you ask me um uh, this would probably change but last night i was up late writing an article um about um it, writing an article for the new york times that's going to be coming out i think in a couple weeks but um it's about um, wakhe and you know that sort of that's that smoky intense flavor you get from Cantonese stir fries. Um, and so, in that article, I was talking about um, my memory of going to uh, this restaurant. It was on it was down at the bottom of Mott Street in New York. It was called Sun Lucky. It burned down in two thousand two. Like every good Chinese restaurant eventually burns down. I feel. Um, it, but when it, my my family moved to New York in the eighties when I was you know very little. Um, but my, some of my earliest food memories are going to Sun Lucky with my dad um, and him, like, you know, it had these, like, aluminum frame, smudged glass, like, dirty doors. That, um, I, and I just remember my dad, like, opening up and that's, like, smelling this, like, the smokiness from the walks um, coming out, like, wafting out. And my dad saying, my dad would always go, I, I like this place. It has that nice smoky flavor. Um, and so, like, I always associate that nice smoky flavor with, like, good Cantonese stir-fries now, um, which, are, I mean, are some of my favorite foods. So, yes, the the, the, the beef chow fun, dry-fried beef chow fun at Sun Lucky, um, and my dad being really into it is uh, one of my favorite food memories. Thanks. Um, so now here are some audience questions, which I will read. So the first one is from Lynn. Food and art are both so creative. How do you keep that creativity while making it accessible for young children? Or are children more open-minded than adults? Um, food and, how do you keep, hmm. <laughs> you know, I would, I would say that sort of, just, you know, just like, just like, you know, I've heard, I've heard comedians say that the, that the most natural sounding jokes are the ones that they've, that they've worked the hardest on and the ones that have, have been like edited to hell. Um, and I would say, like, it almost feels the same way with, I, I, I discovered at least, my experience writing a children's book, um, and also, and, and Gianna can talk about her experience illustrating it, but I think, um, you know, coming up with a voice that sounds natural and engaging, and, well, I hope engaging, um, and that speaks to children um, on their level without talking down to them, um, that was a really, really time-consuming and difficult process. Like, writing this book was didn't take as long as writing my big food book, but just because of the volume involved, but like page for page, this book took a lot more work um, than my recipe writing did because I I know how to talk to adults and I know how to write for adults, but like talking to kids um, and finding that right tone and finding a tone that sounds natural and engaging and fun and coming up with jokes that I think um, work both for children and, and, and the adults reading to the children. Um, all that was just like a ton of work. Um, so, so even, you know, and, and when I first started this, you know, I think, oh, like I'll write a children's book. It's easy. Like, you know, anybody can write a children's book. It's just like <laughs> a thousand words. I, I, you know, like I, kids love me. I say funny things to kids and they laugh. Um, so, and then, and then you quickly realize, oh no, like this is actually really, really difficult, like more difficult than writing for an adult. Um, uh, so 
I would say, you know, the, diff the difficult, when, when something seems natural and seems engaging, there's probably a lot of work <laughs> that went into getting it to that point. Um, and, and Gianna can talk about the illustrations, um, the art style. Yeah. Yeah. So like part of um, the philosophy that I started to learn, you know, while getting into children's books is like uh, thinking about a child and like when the parent is reading, you know, maybe the kid doesn't know how to read quite yet or is, you know, you know, kids start to look at the colors and the pages. So like this illustration that's up right now um you know, making sure that there's details everywhere and like little things to find um, is really fun for, you know, kids and making sure that there's like, just like little hidden things. And so like you re start to remember pages. Like I remember, you know, reading children's books when I was a kid and like there was, I had this beautiful ABC book. I forget what it was called, but it was just like you'd, you'd turn the page and it had the letter like G and it was like, all the things in the in the illustration was like uh grapes gorilla garden so and but they were all illustrated and you just sit there and just like get lost in these you know these illustrations you just it's crazy so um you know for me i was thinking about that and like making sure to like put in details and story details and so like you know the homes like uh you know, for uh, the character who uh, does Tajine, I like put in the background that like I had this narrative of like, oh, maybe she's like in college or she just graduated college and she's studying marine biology. So I like put dolphins and like there's like themes of, you know, and even the books she has like a marine biology book and, um, you know, so just like trying to keep that fun and you know and and also rooted in sort of reality of like what people's homes are and what you you know you don't expect when you walk in the door it's like oh you walk in your friend's house and they have like a crazy knitting collection you're like oh i didn't know that about you it's like yeah <laughs> personal spaces or so you know just kind of also keeping assumptions out and all that stuff but yeah for for keeping it creative you know you just I, I guess just daydream you know I daydream a lot and and I try to add layers constant layers to everything it's not just as simple as what you are seeing you know for you know for for me one of the important things also you know I, I would I, I would think back to the books that I loved as a kid um, and and features that I sort of enjoyed in them um, and so you know, so like one of, one of the things I really like is when there's like a running background sort of thing to look out for. And, and even as a, even as an adult, like reading children's books to, to my daughter now, like my favorite books are ones where there's like something going on in the background that happens from page to page that you don't, that's not part of the story, but you don't really notice until you get through it and then you can look back through it. Um, so like, you know, so like in this one, it's like, what is, what is the dog, what is mozzarella, the dog doing on every page? Um, <laughs> yeah. And he, he's in like every scene doing something funny in the background. And so for me, it's like, you can read the book once and, but then like, you know, now my daughter likes going through it and like searching for the dog on each page and finding out what he's doing and laughing because he's doing something funny, like eating, he's like in the dumpling truck or he, yeah. um, <laughs> yeah, he's always, he's always doing something funny like that. Um, so yeah, you know, incorporating elements like that. Um, and, and, you know, also I think what, what makes, what makes the book engaging and the illustrations particularly engaging to me 
um, is what, what, what Gianna was talking about, how um, all the characters are sort of fully fleshed out characters. Like they all have bio backgrounds and, and biographies that we, that, you know, we sort of came up with um, and, and descriptions of what the characters do and how they got to where they are that are not explicitly stated in the story, but they all factor into like sort of what, um, what is going on in their various scenes. Um, and so just by looking at the pictures, um, you know, not, not in the words at all, just by looking at the pictures and seeing how the scenes are illustrated, you can sort of get a glimpse into the, the lives of these people and get a little bit of an understanding of, of who they are beyond just, you know, what is explicitly stated in the words. And I think that's, um, you know, in a children's book, it's like the word, the, the, the illustrations do much more work than the, than the words themselves do. Um, um, because, you know, children are such visual learners. Thanks. So the next question is from Fuggles993. Uh, <laughs> it's Kenji. screen name. I know, it's great. <laughs> My daughter turns three tomorrow and loves helping to cook. She peels veg, breaks eggs, grinds in a mortar, and stirs stuff, and is starting to taste and adjust seasoning. What else can we try? Those are, <laughs> that's a lot of things so far. Those, those are most of the things my daughter does. Um, you know, my daughter's three and a half now. Um, and for the last few months, she has actually like started working at the stove. Um, uh, so she, you know, she knows how to always hold the, always hold the, the handle with a towel, um, how to like, you know, stir with a spoon, how to stir with a spoon without, you know, she, we practice stirring like uh, on a cold pan first, just so I make sure that she's not going to like, flip pop food out everywhere but um but she does she she works at the stove now um she also um i mean loves measuring things you know um it's it's good for math development and for and for hand-eye coordination um measuring things um she's also started using a real knife now um so um you know ever since she was ba we we had actually i have it right here because i'm sitting here when she was little um she had one of these um nylon knives um and, but even with these like i sort of taught her you know hold your keep your fingertips tucked back and hold it like this and so she like she learned pro like proper knife skills um pretty young and so now she's moved on to actual you know sharp knives and she knows she knows that she's supposed to keep her hands like this so i would say at three you can probably if the, you know if they're advanced and you teach them the, the safety lessons they can probably start working at the stove um as well as doing actual knife work on softer wow. things Ambitious. Um, next question is from Nick for Gianna. What was the most interesting thing you learned from working with Kenji and what surprised you the most? I didn't go in with many assumptions. You know, this is my first uh, uh, children's book. So it was a whole learning process for me and just writing. Um, I guess the, the thing was the, the a hundred, it was it 10,000 10, words. I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> like that was fun. Um, but that was the most surprising thing, honestly. Um, but no, I think, I think the thing that was and still is lovely about working with Kenji is, I think you're very aware of your position in life and that you have always given me, um, you know, you just, you just, well, what, what do you, what does Gigi need? What, like you were very like open and, and making sure that I was taken care of. And um, I really appreciated that. And I thought that was really lovely and you don't get that a lot. Um and uh yeah i think that you know 
I guess that's surprising, right? Is when you come across like a really sweet, genuine person, <laughs> just sad. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I just thought that I really enjoyed, you know, Kenji had, has a lot of creativity within him too. Like, you know, I think that um, you, you know, the idea for like the, um, the notebook like and pizza science and like it was just like okay like sure let's do it you know like I well let's just try it and see what happens and you know and and that was really surprising and yeah you just came in with a lot of energy and you were always upbeat and positive and I think that is just you just have these very wonderful qualities and so working with you is 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 and always will be just a pleasure and I've just you know I just appreciate you, Kenji. I appreciate you, too. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I get sugary. <laughs> it is an informed tradition to ask all the speakers this following question. What is your 60-second idea to change the world? GG. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean... <sighs> I think I first was going to go with empathy, but now I realize it's, I think for me, and this is very childhood, right? Uh, I remember being a kid and being like, I just want peace and love throughout the world. And, and it's just like, and it seems so childish, but now like being an adult, I'm like, no, we should just do that. And we should just do that for everybody. And, just like whatever that course is whatever that direction is the sustainability you know like living in a world that's sustainable and doesn't have war all the time i've you know i'm 33 i've never lived in a war like america's been at war all my life and like why you know and just starting to question just what our reality is and what it can be and i think that i just just constantly question and look for the better solution. I guess that's it. <laughs> <laughs> um, for me, I mean, you know, <laughs> realistically, it would be, you know, get money out of politics and stop the, stop the, <laughs> the cycle of, of, of capitalism. Um, <laughs> um, more, you know, <laughs> more thematically, <laughs> I think everyone... <laughs> Everyone should have, everyone should, we should have more pizza parties. We should have more parties where we invite, we invite strangers into our homes and share food um, and gain, gain a better understanding of each other by, by sharing food with each other. Um, and then talk about ways we can get money out of politics and, and stop the cycle of capitalism. <laughs> Great answers. <laughs> so that's what we have for today's conversation. Um, many thanks to both Thank of you. Thank you. Jay Kenji, Kenji Lopez-Alt, and Gigi Ruggiero for joining us today at Inforum at the Commonwealth Club. So their book, Every Night is Pizza Night, is now available for purchase at your preferred bookseller. Maybe not Amazon. If you'd like to watch <laughs> more virtual programs or support the Commonwealth Club's efforts in making virtual programming, please visit commonwealthclub.org slash online. I'm Soleho. Thank you and stay safe. Stay safe.